Welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. This season, we'll be covering all things wealth, from owning it to maximizing it. For further information, or if you'd like help accelerating your wealth directly, please do contact us. Head over to our website, www.rebeccarobertsonevo.co.uk. Today, we're going to be joined by Jane Baker, who is a powerhouse high-ticket sales disruptor, a multi-seven-figure serial entrepreneur, two times number one best-selling author, listed as one of the UK's top 100 female entrepreneurs, a philanthropist who counts celebrities and FTSE Fortune 500 companies as clients. Let's get talking to Jane. So I'm joined today with a lovely Jane who's um, she's so lucky. She always looks so summery and spring-like all year round. So sometimes in my lives I've got coats and hats and woolly gloves on, whereas she's so lucky. Tell people where you live. Jane? Uh, yeah, so these days I live in Lanzarote in the Canary Islands. <laughs> so she's always like so beautiful, summery and spring-like and it just makes me, makes me sick. <laughs> I'm joking, <laughs> I'm just jealous. <laughs> um, so we've just been talking about your show that's coming up and um, I th- today we're going to be talking about your story and sharing some of, t- some of your success tips around how you've got to where you are and all that kind of jazz. But I think it's just really important to, um, I think, acknowledge our milestones, right? And uh, you came from beautiful, is it a beautiful place, a Pontypris in Wales? Would you say it's a beautiful? Yeah, so I mean, um, the same hometown as Tom Jones. So obviously, you know, people have, <laughs> people have, although I would say you should be a way better singer than I am, to be fair. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a small, traditional, I would say, Valleys mining town in South Wales. So it was originally built um, in the sort of coal industry boom. And um, so mm. everybody kind of moved there because that was, that, that was where the work was. Um, and it's pretty much sort of stayed that kind of way, you know, throughout, yeah. the, throughout the, the whole kind of generations that, are, that, that have since come. Most people will sort of, um, they're born there and they stay there. It's kind, yeah. of, it's kind of what they do. Yeah, I get that. I was brought up in a town called Sittingbourne in, in Kent. And I always knew I would never stay there. I always knew I wanted to move away. And I lived in London for about 10 years. And I, I yeah, I, I just, I know people that are still live there and they, their life doesn't change. And, and that's no just like disrespect to them, right? Yeah. But I think you had, and probably myself, but you know, you've gone on to do some amazing things. Um, you, you have this drive to for more. And I, that's what I love about your story. I hear a lot of this from a lot of people that have had come from not very much not had very much and we've talked some people have talked about like where that drive comes from for the fact that they just want something different for themselves um, and they think that they they deserve more and they, that there's more to life and you know I know from your story you know you didn't do great at school you wasn't really into it um, but you went on to do great success so tell people a little bit about where, where things started for you. Yeah, so I'm one of those people that I was always asked when I was younger, even my career advisor would, would, would say, you know, what do you want to what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd always say I wanted to be um, rich, famous and successful. And that was it. And um, <laughs> she was like, no, you need to choose like a proper job. And there was once I was, and, uh, yeah, it was like, you need to choose a proper job. And I was like, no, that's what I'm going to do. And she was like, what about a teacher? I was like, no, I don't want to be a teacher. Like those are, and, and it was always the staple for me of, of, of the kind of see things. I never... I never knew what that looked like. I never, I, I wasn't saying that I was going to be a famous actress or any of those things. I just knew in like with complete certainty that I was going to do something amazing. And I had no proof to back that up. 
Um, I grew up with an alcoholic father that nothing was ever good enough for. And after about a couple of years of sort of coming home from school and, you know, I'd get, I found, I found education really easy. So, you know, I was one of those lucky people, I guess, that would go into an exam with no revising and I'd still come out with, you know, 95% marks. It was, it was very easy and, and really natural for me, but nothing was ever good enough. And so I came home one day and had a 98% on this, on this test. And it was just like, just this constant kind of barrage. And I was like, so I've just had enough of this. So um, it was a term before we were finishing school. And so I decided that from that moment on, I was going to fail every single one of my exams on purpose. And I went all out. You know, I, I ended up getting a minus two on my geography test because I even spelled my name wrong. Just have like the icing on the cake of the whole thing. So I ended up dropping out of all of the all of the top classes and rebelled for, I would say, most of the rest of my teenage years. Um, I actually <laughs> ended up leaving school just before my 16th birthday. So I was kindly asked to leave. Um, and I ended up obviously not having any qualifications. So I had no GCSEs, nothing. So when I say I left school with like no qualifications, I have none. And I was due to go to college uh, that September because my mother was like, well, go to college, you can do it. I was like, okay. Um, I went for one day and then they were like, oh, you've got double maths. And I was like, nah, no. <laughs> so I walked out and I never went back. And so even now, like I don't, a lot of people talk about like not having any qualifications or having small qualifications, then they've gone back and done something. Yeah. I never have. The last time I was in an educational setting was when I was 16 and, and, and I left. Um, but that's not a reflection of where you're at in terms of your success, right? I mean, I think that's what's amazing about what you do. I mean, I, I had this, not, not saying, but I didn't have much qualifications in school. But like you say, I did go back and do other qualifications to do the job that I do now. Um, but you've gone on without any of those things, which is... It's pretty cool really but I think that comes down to part of that personality and that drive and it doesn't sound like you had like the nurturing father that encouraged you it certainly sounds like the opposite um and that, and that's a real that's a real shame but it sounds like that 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 experience actually didn't seem to affect you in a negative way possibly it sounds like actually it drove you possibly to just to want more I mean to go to your careers advisor and say I'm just going to be successful I'm not going to be an actress but I'm going to be successful and so certain of that like how 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 do you how, how do you do that I mean I've never really known and, and I get asked that a lot because I mean I'm also not someone and um, I've only had one job so I worked in a call center so after the whole college thing didn't work out my mother was obviously very insistent that I needed to go and do something so I was like fine I'll go to a call center because you know where I'm from call centers are like the factories of today you know everybody kind mm. of goes into a call center and um, eight weeks later I was no longer in the call center I was absolutely rubbish couldn't sell a single thing I actually ended up owing I actually ended up on, on a call where I was supposed to be selling to the customer ended up owing the customer money so it was I was that <laughs> awful at it um and that was the, you know, that was the only time I've ever been employed as well. And so when people ask me sort of, you know, what, how was I so certain? I, I genuinely don't know. I just, for me, it was very much sort of, I knew other people had, not even people from my town, because most of the people from my town just don't do those things. No. But I would see someone else, maybe like in, in a newspaper or read about someone. I'd be like, if they can, I can. And that's kind of just always been the thing for me. I've never, lots of people kind of have this thing where they're like, I need to wait and have proof to show myself that I can do these things. Mm. For me, the proof is the fact that someone else has done it. And if someone else can do it, Why can't I can I? do it. And that's yeah. just like always what I've sort of. Was you, was you born really, like that? Was you like the one, the little kid that was like this, like, I think you're blue eyed, blue eyed, blonde hair, 
you know, dancing around the front room with their mum videoing them and sort of like, was you that quite, what's the right word, extrovert, I guess? No, I was incredibly painfully shy, to be fair, for most uh, most of my life. When I became a teenager and entered my sort of rebellious stage, I kind of... um, I, I always say it as I kind of become who I needed to be to get that period of my life. Um, mm-hmm. And so instead of being that really shy, painfully type of person, I knew that, I mean, you know, home life was really shit. I was constantly in, in, in fights and arguments with my father and I, you know, I was locked out of the house for hours on end. Like it was, it was really crap. And so I felt like I needed to be able to thrive during that time in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really kind of leveraged the understanding, the concept of that and kind of become someone a little bit different that were just, kind of act as a bit of an escape to mm. everything that kind of happens in the house but generally speaking I was painfully shy I mean the first time I was in a in the call center um I remember sitting in the, the training room and I was like all of the eyes on you and you know when you're going to introduce yourself and I'm like sweating and I'm like oh my god I don't want to do this um <laughs> and I'd be sitting there like hoping nobody like nobody was on the other end of the phone because I was just so so nervous and so yeah. sort of just unconfident with the whole selling the thing whole which thing. is crazy because I mean these days um I mean I, I help other people sell um I own a sales agency where we sell for some of the largest businesses in the world um, we have non-traditional training it's my methods that they are that they are learning and last year all my companies combined we did just short of 10 million for the year and you know I, I still <laughs> stick me in that call center position and I'm still not making sales. So it's, it's really crazy, really, that I went how, how, from being how, again, I just yeah. feel like, how? It's almost like, it's like, it's how? How could you go from being like in a call center and owing people money on the phone to having like a million pound sales agency? Like that's, that's mad. Yeah, um, a lot of it for me was I changed everything I thought about selling. So Mm. I think I'm really passionate about the fact that selling gets such a bad rap. And Mm. often it's because our first experience with sales is in a negative way. We don't remember selling in a positive way because we remember that first cold caller or Mm. we remember that first sort of person that made us feel really icky or or forced or pushed or that first person that kind of comes in our inbox when it comes to selling. And then we have the whole you know, well, if you're going to go and you're going to sell something, you're, you're greedy and you're, you know, you're just after money. And there's so much negative thinking around selling. And there's also, yeah. I think you're so conditioned. I mean, in the call center, it was, you must sell this way. Here's a script, yeah. you have to stick to it. Yeah. And for me, a large part of it was, I just forgot what anybody had ever told me about selling. I just forgot what anybody had ever made me feel about selling. And I just went and did it. You know, I sat there when I was 19 um randomly decided to start a business an hour later we had a business and I went and sold and I didn't I didn't sit there and think oh my god oh what if like I have to sell in that way oh my god I don't know how to sell or oh my god mm-hmm. like what if what if I sound I just fully just stepped into a space of I'm just gonna do what feels right for me and yeah. that's ultimately the ethos of all of the so the sales agency we don't have a set everyone's trained the same way every single person that comes to sell for us is trained in a unique way because it's all about finding their inner selling superpower and unleashing that, which is exactly what I did for myself. And Amazing. for me, is always the biggest difference for people. So what are like, are there two or three main selling superpowers then? Is there like a consistent sort of few? I mean, generally, everybody's, everybody's going to do it slightly differently. I always say to people that, it's funny because if you were running an offline business and you said to someone, like, go and make sales this week, 
almost everybody would naturally gravitate to what's natural for them, whether that was knocking doors, because there's some amazing cold callers, you know, people, people are really down on cold calling and I get it because the cold calling that most people experience is really crap. But actually, you know, I know some amazing cold callers and I'm, I'm, I'm someone that's very difficult to sell to if it's not something that I want. And I would even buy from these people because they're absolutely insane. Um, but then for me, I can't cold call. Like I'm awful at it. I'm absolutely mm -hmm. horrific at it. But if you said to someone offline to just go and make sales, they will mostly gravitate to what's right for them. So they're going to ring around or they're going to knock doors or they're going to go leaflet in or they're going to send emails. They'll normally gravitate towards the thing that they just feel is easiest for them. Yeah. Whereas when you say to someone online, go and make sales, they don't do that. They go, oh my God, well now I need a funnel and I need a sales page and I need, and I need to do sales calls and I need Not to- 10 lives a day. And I need to go and find a sales script and I need to have that one sentence that I ask at the end of it. And in, and in reality, you just have to do the same thing in the sense of you just have to do what's in alignment for you. You know, it, it's how do people connect with you best? But some people that is on a sales call, but you don't have to do sales calls. And, you know, some people don't even like buying from them. So a large part of it is just what feels natural to you. There's a difference between something feeling scary because you haven't done it before and it's still feeling in alignment versus me in that call center. It, if it wasn't scary, it was, this isn't right for me. Yeah. And, and, I, and I couldn't do it. And, and ultimately, you know, it could be, calling it could be speaking to people some people have this natural energy where people just connect really well with them when they speak to them yeah. other people don't come across very well using their voice and so mm. they're better in, in, in a written format so a lot of it is finding what's best for you and just finding how you best connect with people really totally I'm not very good at writing but I think I'm better on lives and videos and um, now in my business, I'm looking at how I can do like less is more and focus yeah. on the stuff that I'm doing in my communities, uh, my, my paid customers, if you like, communities, um, how I can take what I'm doing in those communities and just share that outside. And actually, it's all like create the super fans, create like the buzz, create the excitement yeah. and let the rest do the work rather than like focusing on this external of so many podcast downloads, so many blogs, so many lives. Yeah actually just do the work just do the yeah. work and people will come kind of mentality and that feels energetically I, I've only made that decision over the, like the last week and I feel amazingly better for it yeah yeah I mean I think the the, the big thing with selling and I mean I, I'm a big fan I mean I make I'll say that I can close my eyes and I mean we'll across all businesses make seven figures today eyes shut done it's not an issue for us um I can close a seven figure deal with my eyes closed it's not a problem for me and that's because I'm not forcing myself to try and do something that's not right for me I'm not forcing myself to do something in a way that's not right for me and lots of people I mean I've got a, an entrepreneur friend and she's like um oh you're just stubborn and I'm like listen <laughs> I'm like listen my stubbornness out earns you by about 10 times over I will be stubborn forever like I'll happily carry that badge because I'm I, you know, I, I make it with ease and I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to make it hard because I've been there and I've done that and it didn't work for me and I didn't like it and I didn't enjoy it so why would I ever choose if I'm gonna my kind of motto is if I'm gonna choose to make selling hard then I'll just go back and work in our call center mm. I, I wouldn't last very long I'll get fired from all of them but mm. if, if, if you're designing to force yourself to do something that's not right for you then go sell for someone else then because yeah why make it difficult why make it hard and ultimately 
you know, I think that the thing with selling that most people forget is it's not about you. Um, yeah. It's not really about what you say. It's about what you make someone feel. And for a lot of the, the companies that we sell for in the agency, you know, one thing we really drive home to them is they can actually save money on marketing if they have a better selling experience because the selling experience will sell it for you. The selling experience will also go and tell someone else, oh my God, you need to be, you need, you need to go and have a, have a, you know, go through their selling experience. We have people that thank us for selling to them. Yeah, and, that's, and, that's, and, and that's the thing. I think that's, I, I've obviously come from financial services. I worked in a bank at 19. We had targets, we had KPIs about how many customers we had at the till and how many people we sold appointments to. And I, I, was, I was good at it. But the reason I was good at it is I was talking about the solution and solving the solution to their problem. And I wasn't offering them something that they didn't need. And I wasn't forcing the issue, which is a problem a lot of people, I think, make, especially in banks. You know, so, for example, you're renting somewhere and they're offering you buildings and contents insurance. They haven't even found out the fact that actually you don't need buildings insurance because you're renting a flat that you don't own. Therefore, you only need contents insurance. And it's about understanding oh right you just what you're getting 500 quid out for are you going to go and buy a new playstation and a new bike and okay have you got contents insurance for those if something something happened to them yeah. it's about the conversation it's about the person it's getting to know someone and that's the only reason why i did any good in financial services because it was about getting to know the person and knowing what they what, what they needed they might not know that they need it but yeah. They still need yeah, and, and generally speaking, you know, emotion is one of the biggest drivers for people to buy. And there's also obviously different buying profiles. So I'm an impulsive buyer. So, you know, um, I see something, decide I want it, I go and get it. But I'm very emotional driven. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't go and buy a Ferrari because it's a practical mode of, of transport. I'm buying it because it makes me feel a certain way. Um, I just impulsively bought a private island. I bought that private island because it's a practical holiday destination. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, emotions are really a really large driver for me when I buy. I won't buy anything. I mean, I will make those impulsive decisions on those big sort of items, whereas I will agonize over a pen in a shop because <laughs> it doesn't make me feel anything. So it's like, <laughs> oh my God, do I want to spend five pounds on that pen? Um, and yeah, and I think mostly that's where people go wrong. People go wrong with starting because they focus on the thing versus what that thing is going to do for someone or what that, or what that person needs to feel in order to want to buy that thing. Um, and if you can understand the person you're selling to and you can understand what they need to feel in order to buy, why they buy, and it's particularly relevant in high ticket um, because you pass the point where it's a logical purchase for someone. You know, mm -hmm. people aren't paying you those thousands because it's a logical purchase. They're buying it because it's going to make them feel a certain way or because right. they believe it's going to do something specific for them. So well, if I you find can that's nail that, hard. then you yeah, can that use it. That's really hard, I think, for, for, for many, many business owners because you're in it, right? You're in it so much, like, especially with myself. Like, I know people need a pension. They don't need a pension. They want to retire successfully in, in a financially abundant way that they can decide when they retire and how much money they have when they retire in the most tax efficient manner. And being all, it's, it's not about being tax efficient. It's, it's not about, it's not necessarily about those things. But so the language when I'm talking can be about all the things that I'm doing and then your benefit from it. But that's not what people are really buying, are they? And I think it's really difficult to get you out of your own head and understand that language. And I, I read something recently. It was like, go into a couple of Facebook groups, not to nick people, because that's just really naughty, but just to go in and search and look for questions that people are asking and seeing what language they're using as to what problems they're coming up with, how they're describing those problems and, and what, what they're looking for help with, because that's the language. So does that, but does that not come back to marketing? Does that not come back to 
Whereas you're saying that selling is exactly the same as the, the marketing and the selling go together or? Marketing tends to open up the door for selling. So obviously nobody can buy if they don't know you exist. So generally speaking, the marketing is what opens the door for someone to go, you exist, oh, I want to buy from you. And then the selling happens. Typically speaking, I think what most people do is they think that the, the, the selling and marketing is the same place. So they, they'll talk a lot about, or, you know, when, when you convince somebody to buy from you, well, you shouldn't be convincing somebody to buy from you. The selling part doesn't happen really or shouldn't really happen until the person's ready to buy from you. Um, now, the only caveat to that, obviously, is if you're a business that wants to rely on cold calling. Um, mm. And that's fine. But then if you do that, you have to also account for the fact that you're going to have a lot of backlash from a marketing perspective. So then you're going to need to fund that a lot more. Whereas if you had a more sort of, the only people that really come through are the ones that are interested or are curious even, then you tend to have a better thing. But essentially, um, marketing is the gatekeeper. You know, without the marketing, you don't really get to the selling point. So do you think people should be selling all the time within within the marketing space or do you believe in funnels? Um, it depends on the business. So I'm not a cookie cutter approach type of person. So it all Good. depends on it all depends on your business. It depends on what you're selling and more importantly, who you're selling to. So, you know, like I say all the time, if you're trying to sell to me, you don't put me through a funnel. Like I don't, I don't buy from funnels. Um, I will buy I saw from the stubbornness the then. The stubbornness yeah. kicked in. Oh, I'm not doing it. It's because it doesn't, because if, if it doesn't make me feel something in that moment, I'm not coming back to it. And yeah. because I'm an impulsive buyer, the funnel, however, does benefit the more curious you know, they're the more cautious sort of, you know, I'll, I'll dive straight in and I'll just buy it. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously those buying profiles where they need to dip their toes in first and then they will kind of go ahead and, and purchase. Yeah. But it depends on who you're selling to because not everybody's the same. You know, if you were trying to sell into the corporate space, you're almost wasting your time with funnels in, in, in many type of ways. So yeah. essentially, they haven't got the time to be no. doing that, no. Um, and essentially it's understanding that there's a big wide world out there outside of the Facebook bubble that I think most mm. people have kind of got themselves into. Yeah. And not everybody buys in the same way. Not everybody gets triggered in the same way. So you would use a funnel if it's logical for what you're selling and who you're selling to, generally speaking. But I mean, I, I firmly believe that people, I mean, you should be having sale opportunities every day, whether that's sales conversations or, you know, driving new people through a funnel or whatever it might be. Because, you know, if you're not selling, you're really sort of, you're, you're limiting the impact that you'll be able to make in your own life, in your bank account, you know, in other people's lives. I mean, I launched a foundation last year and we wouldn't be able to do that and give the amount of money that yeah. we give in away for all intents and purposes if we weren't selling. So for me, um, I think people worry too much about, oh my God, but if I sell every day, people are going to think that I'm just like, uh, and it's like, yeah, but that's because you're looking at it from your own head. Someone mm. on the other side may not see it every day. I don't see people's stuff every day. But no. so you don't see people's stuff every day. So the chances that someone's going to see that repetitively every single day is probably for, you know, few and far between anyway. No, I totally, and I, I'm, I'm terrible at it. I'm actually like, I'm almost like, oh, take you to the, the, the riverside and show you and go how, how look, how lovely this all is. And then I go, I just wait for it to wait, wait for them. Don't ask the question. Just, yeah. just wait. And then they come to me and go, oh, can I work with you? And I'm like, yeah, I probably should have like done a process in between that marketing piece and that sales piece and actually bridge that gap. I'm a, I must admit, I'm a bit shit at that. Um, now, before you go, because I know you've got a busy lady, you've got lots going on. Um, I need to talk to you about Netflix and I need to talk, about, talk to you about an island. Um, 
and you slipped it in there and I know you're buying an island and you said out there one day on Facebook you were like I'm gonna buy an island (laughs) and I was like oh here we go who's Jane gonna buy an island what next um and I think it was like a week and a half I don't even think it was that long after I was like okay I bought an island and then when I spoke to you um I can't remember what we were talking about another time I was like okay you, you haven't just like got you know this millions of pounds sitting in your bank account sitting there doing nothing and you've gone oh okay what should I spend it on kind of process it's been a very you know professional corporate thought out process right yeah so I mean obviously um for me before I'm buying anything it's kind of weighing it up between um, I, I I could pay it in full but it doesn't actually make logical kind of sense to do that anyway it's the same with cars so I'm a massive car fan but buying them all cash makes no sense because it's a depreciating asset unless it's one of the most expensive ones and you know lots of kind of those things come into play um and so yeah it was a case of I want one um what are we going to do with it though <laughs> because you know it's, it's that kind of thing so yeah I mean obviously I'm in a position where I've built up a global group of companies so when it came to the island it was crunching the numbers it was you know what what can we do how can we kind of make it work and also where is it going to benefit so Mm -hmm. as long as it can at least pay for itself then Mm -hmm. you know obviously it's a a logical thing to do and obviously ultimately it's an asset as well but yeah obviously crunching the numbers and actually going and going right okay what's the most logical approach to this because I think one of the things with money is people just go oh, well, you know, if you've got five million, you'll just buy everything in cash or like you'll just do all of this. And it's like, well, nah, that's not the most kind of practical way to do it. Your money no. also has to work for you as well. So, you know, that's why you've got investments and you've got all of the other things that kind of um, take care of it. So, yeah, it was very much a... And most of the people around me know that I operate like that. So it's not unusual for me to ring them up and be like, I want this. Make it happen. How can we make it work? Like, make yeah. it work. <laughs> make it work for me. <laughs> just make the numbers work and we're good. So it's not it's not unusual, but it's always it's always a case of actually talking about that first yeah and so you're going to be doing retreats there or yeah so I mean currently it's not uh, they've never actually hired it out uh, aside to friends and family so but for the plan for us is to have it as a actual place where people can hire it for retreats I'll run my own retreats um, and obviously people can hire it for their own holidays as long as I'm not there <laughs> because I have a rule that if I'm there then nobody else can be there I love that. So I'm not getting invited to the island because if you're there, then I'll get an invite. But as oh, well, that's different. If it's, if, it's, if it's social stuff, everybody can come. But I don't want to be walking around with like a massive sort of like, I, I don't I don't feel like I want to be Richard Branson where he has like, and then it's like work for him as well because he's just got this island full of people that want to speak to him. Like, I don't I don't fancy that. No, I'll just bring a bottle of tequila and we'll have a laugh. That sounds <laughs> yeah. much better. And so before you go, let's just talk about Netflix. So you said to your career teacher, all those years ago, you're going to be famous one day and you don't know how or what or why. And so tell us about Netflix and what's going on at the moment. Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, we signed a deal with a, an award-winning production company um, to do my own reality show. So it was something that I've wanted to do for a while, but weren't quite sure like what it would look like or the approach of things we would take. But we, we had a discussion with them. They came up with a concept, worked for me. So yeah, so we signed a deal for me to host my own reality show. So it's going to be following one of my businesses as such. And there's obviously a bit more to it, but I can't talk about it because I'm under an NDA. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, it's going to be going on one of the the, the big on-demand platforms. So it'll be, it'll be cool and it'll be interesting. And yeah, I did actually um, 
I mean, I'm, I'm very much that type of person. So my career advisor did get a little gift for me, just reminded me, just, just kind of reminded her a little bit that um, she was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's that stubbornness again, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, for me, you know, one of the big things for me about why I, why I even do what I do or why I sort of share about anything I do is because, you know, I come from that area where we were always told like people like us can't do things like that or people like us don't do things like that. And, and, and so for me, I want to be able to break those generational sort of like beliefs and stories Maybe, that we've had yeah. and for people to know that they can do it um, and it is possible for them and they don't have to sit there waiting for a lot of you win. That's a big sort no. of thing of mine. Um, no, they can, they I can hear that all the time. Themselves. Yeah, definitely. Well, as always, a massive inspiration. Can't see what you're going to get up to, get up to next. Um, will you come back when you're even richer and even more famous and talk to me? Will you, will you yeah, do that? Always. Oh, yeah, always. Yeah, I'll always come back. <laughs> okay, my love. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the sunshine. And thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Accelerate Your Wealth. If you'd like to take the steps to accelerate your wealth further, perhaps owning it more or maximizing it to its full potential, please do head over to our free Facebook group, The Money Mastery Collective, where we post regular updates on tips to maximize your wealth and also support you along the way. We'd love to see you there.